0: Uh, I, I want to thank all of you who prayed for me and uh, kept me and my family in prayer. And for those who who have just started attending within the last two months, you're wondering who is this bozo guy up there. Uh, my, my name is Greg. Uh, I'm the I'm senior pastor here. I've just been out for for a while. And uh, the, the the prayer has been uh, overwhelming. The cards, emails, presents, flowers. The Cadillac was really a plus. That was, that was, that was... No, really, I, I've, I've just felt extremely loved on, and I uh, really deeply appreciate it. I, I have been through, um, as I said on the video, I think a couple weeks ago, um, it, it, I think the rawest, most authentic, most honest time of my life, uh, and it for a while was really, really painful. But it's, I feel like, and it's still in process. It's not like we arrive and then just move on. But uh, it's one of the most beautiful times of my life. Uh, when you're on the potter's wheel and he's shaping you, um, new shapes don't always come easy. But uh, the result is, if you let God do it, always beautiful. And uh, so I've, I've had two and a, and a half uh, months off just to do a lot of soul searching. A lot of questioning, a lot of investigation, and uh, it's been—it's it, been a good thing. And I'm happy to be back. I, I want to read, and what I'm going to be doing here for the next several times that I talk, which may, you know, evolve into a year. You know me, but um, I, I'll be—I just want to kind of share what I've been through and some of the things I've learned. And and in uh, the next several times I talk, that's what I'll be doing. I'll just kind of bleed, bleed it forth. Um, and I pray that it will minister to you, because one of the things I found is that in the process of this, a lot of you are, are are in or have been in a similar kind of place, and it's not a bad place. Depending on what you do with it, it can be a, a very good place. I also just want to say this: I, I was overwhelmed with the testimonies that I got. Um, Oh, it's just some of the stories, you know, I felt honestly kind of pathetic because I I gave up, you know, on July 4th, I gave this talk about how, you know, I'm wondering about, you know, what's going on here and is life significant and all that. I kind of just barfed on July 4th. And... uh, and so people, you know, told me about how significant this ministry is to them. And then I felt kind of pathetic, like I was up here asking for kudos or something. But, but, but it, it was really a beautiful thing to see, man, we've got to do a better job of, of, of getting this out. Because this really, really, as all these stories just made me cry. Uh, some really cool things going on uh, in the ministry here that, that I didn't know about. Most of it I, I had no idea about. And I'm supposed to know what's going on around here. Job. I want to read the book of Job. Surprise. You know Job's story. Job, Job was uh, caught in sort of a, a wager, just an arbitrary happenstance, crapshoot in heaven. And he got caught in, in the middle of it. And the result was that his life spiraled downward, hit the bottom, lost absolutely everything. In Job 19, he says this. This is the low point. My breath is offensive to my wife. <laughs> How many jobs do we have? How many job's wives do we have out there, right? This should be a book in the Bible, Job's wife. I mean he, OK, I am loathsome to my brothers. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I've escaped with only the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? He's saying you're treating me as bad as God does. Now that's that's Job's perspective at this time, Uh, but he's just feeling absolutely, utterly alone in the world, despised, having lost everything. Now in the middle of this very, very low, dark place. After everything's been stripped away, Job discovers something, and it is amazingly the most beautiful revelation of the Redeemer in the Old Testament that we find. And it just pops kind of out of nowhere. So here's what Job says. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with with an iron tool on lead, or engraved in a rock forever. I wish, wish I could chisel this in something per- permanent. And here's what he wants to chisel. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the, flat, in the end, He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I'm going to get my skin back, in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I and not another how my heart yearns within me. Oh, I want to see him. Oh, I, 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 I want to see him face to face. I'm yearning for that. And I, I need to inscribe this in a rock because I know that in about two seconds, I'm going to get foggy again. I know that I'm all messed up. I know that I'm all confused, but if I could just write this one thing down, that would be enough. out the book of Job, Job has some really honest and wrong things to say about God. He basically sees God as, as a Satan who is, who is after him, pursuing him, tearing him apart. But in the midst of all that confusion, he gets this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful revelation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time that I have had and I thank you for this, this congregation and the board and others who have given me the space that I need to uh, work through a kind of a Job period in my life. And I just pray, God, that as you always do, if we let you, you'll uh, not only weave something, not, not only are you weaving something beautiful in my own life out of this, but you'll weave it into other people's lives. Everything we go through becomes a qualification for ministry in your potter's hands. And so, Lord, use this message. Give it your authority. Bless it with your divine power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Picasso, that interesting artist who drew all those Chernobyl fish, Uh, he, he, uh, and those, (laughs) never mind, but uh, he, he said this. He says every act of creation is first an act of destruction. And I think that applies to just more than art. I think it's a life principle. For anything new to be created, the old has to be destroyed. God is the supreme artist of our life. And I think if we're walking with him, there'll always be something being destroyed and something new being created. I think it's called dying to self. My wife and I, about eight years ago, Um, had to destroy just about everything in order to create something new. As we always do, we we got into a pattern. You get into a pattern of living. uh, just a way of relating. And there's expectations set up with one another, and you just have a way of doing life. But it can happen that what's real... I've learned how to ask that question so raw these days. What is real? It can happen that, that what is real, where each spouse is at, has outgrown that pattern. And so the relationship now is simply an old pattern. It's not a real relationship. The real you and the real them are not related. You're just related through this pattern that you've both outgrown. And what we found is that at one point we had to just ask the question, what is real? And it's not this. Now, this isn't working for us anymore. Maybe it was fine 5, 10, 15 years ago, but, but uh, there's, we just sensed inside that there's something artificial. It's, there's, there's, we're missing something here. And we had to, we had to just uh, throw it all up in the air and, and let everything fall where it may and, and, and let everything be destroyed. It's a scary time. And it's a painful time, but it's so necessary if you're going to find out what is real, what is really authentic here authenticity I am learning is just the supreme virtue. If you don't have that at the top of the list, it doesn't get on the list. And so you ask the question, what is real? And it's a painful question. Scott Peck, in The Road Less Traveled, or maybe it was in one of his other books, he said you, can, you have a choice in life. You can either choose the pain of looking at reality, or you can choose the pain of refusing to look at reality. And the second pain though immediately more comforting, is far more painful and destructive. What is real? And so we destroyed what was. And everything was up for grabs and it was very scary. But we, we created something new. What we created was a real relationship. And uh, it was real for today, who we really are right now. And we discovered a depth of love, a profundity of relationship that we had never known before. But to get there, you had to kind of let everything be destroyed. Something like that is what happened with my relationship with the Lord. And uh, I didn't know exactly what was going on, but you, you, feel, you, you feel something. There's a lack of congruity. There's a lack of congruity. There's a, a splinter in the brain. Something's off here. And, and it grows and it intensifies. And if you don't attend to it, uh, it starts to eat you. It starts to eat you alive from the inside out. And what I found is in the ministry, it's it's so convenient to ignore that. Uh, In the church, you get a flow going, you get a ministry going, you know, you get patterns of relationship going, patterns of thought going, a stream that's got its own momentum, its own currency, its own power. And like any family system, it's like a marriage, it's like a family, Uh, there's things in place to keep you where you are. It really upsets the system sometimes if you change significantly. It's like if you're in a dysfunctional family system, the last thing anyone wants you to do is to get healthy. <laughs> you know, We liked you better when you were drunk. We, we knew what to expect then. We, we, you know, we knew how to relate to you. And so there's pressures on us to keep doing the old, but it can be the case, it should be the case, that we're always growing and there's something new that needs to be birthed. And in the ministry, I found that there's a flow going, there's expectations going and, and all of this, and there's a lot of great passionate things to get involved in, and it's easy to ignore that splinter in your brain and just not, not attend to it. But it starts taking its toll. And so what I found I needed to do uh, was I needed to simply step out of the stream for, for a time. Didn't know how long it was going to be, but I had to step out. And I had to ask the question so raw. And let it, I had to let it go where, wherever it would lead me. What is real? Apart from Woodland Hills, what is real for me? Apart from evangelicalism, apart from the things I'm supposed to believe, what do I really believe? If I don't have any secondary gain, if I don't have a job that depends on it, I got to be willing to let that be an Isaac I put up on the altar. Uh, If I, you know, don't have, if I get out of the social pressure to be a certain way and to believe a certain thing, what is real about me? What do I really think on different issues? And they're all issues I've wrestled with intellectually before, but because of the stream, the flow of the stream, and, and how invested I was in keeping the stream going, I, I don't think I let myself feel the full emotional force of the questions I, I had. And so I had to just say, what is real? What is absolutely real here? Uh, a major part of my questioning, as I gave on July 4th, had to do with, with Christianity. In fact, all of it, in one way or another, had to do with Christianity. A lot of it had to do with the church of Christianity. I, I, something was just, not Woodland Hills Church in particular, but just church. And May, as I got clearer and clearer and, and about the kingdom of God, and this has just intensified you know, tenfold during this, this, this period that I've been off, but I got a clear, a clear vision of the beauty of the kingdom and the radical, radical uh, nature of the kingdom and how, how different it is from anything we know. And the clearer I got about the kingdom, the more disturbed I got about the church. And, and I'm a pastor of a church. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I, that's a scary thought for, for me. Like, what, what is real on this whole thing? And there was a lot of causes for it, I guess. But, you know, one of the things, let me just, you know, throw this out here just to kind of let you know some of the thought processes that were going on. Uh, part of it's this whole election thing. I've, I'm just finding myself profoundly bothered by a lot of it. Um, about the relationship between the church and it. And I, I, it got under my skin. I, you know, I found when I, got, when I asked the question, what is real? I had a lot, of, a, a lot more cynicism and anger about churchianity than I thought I had. Once I let myself feel that, it's like, whoa, whoa, that is so ugly. But I, 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 at this point, is let, let, let myself feel it. What is real? Not Try not to have it. Not try to talk myself out of it. But ask, what is real? Uh, to give you an example, I, I was, a, a lot of it had to do with, with the kind of the, what I think is national idolatry. Just buying into, you know, equating American patriotism with, with Christianity, or at least t- equating those two clo- too closely together. I was watching a show, a, a news station, where they had a... A Muslim guy uh, who was a scholar, uh, educated at London University. He was actually in London, and he was leading a movement and, uh, of rather educated Muslims. And some of these Muslims were going over to Iraq to fight against the Americans. And they interviewed this guy, and, and he was so articulate and, and, and bright and, and uh, shocking. And he said... In this interview, he, he, he talked about why uh, he is opposed, he, he thinks America is Satan, and he thinks uh, democracy is uh, uh, satanic, and our freedom is just a, a, a smokescreen for our w- wanting to exploit people. Real freedom only comes in submission to Allah, and how we don't need or appreciate uh, you know, Americans in, exporting their interests over to Iraq. Islam needs nothing. It's complete in and of itself, and so on and so on and so on. And then he said, most shockingly, he says, and, and, and what we're here to say is that the 21st century will be the century of Islam. And by the end of the 21st century, America will be Islamic. We, are, we will take over, one way or another, uh, America, Allah. Well, give us America. And immediately, isn't there in most of our hearts a sense of, heck no, you ain't taking it. No, 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 we, we uh, you try, you try. We'll make your country a parking lot. I mean, there, there's this, For God and country, we will defend ourselves. We will pick up the sword. We will fight. We will, you know, we'll we'll put you in the ground. And now here's what I'm thinking. And I have that too. So I'm not like, you know, standing over here in Holy Land looking down. It's like, here it is. But see, now I'm wondering, what did it mean when Jesus said, love your enemies? So we want to believe, yeah, love your enemies, except these. Uh, He certainly didn't include these. Except my enemies. (laughs) And so we come up with all these ingenious ways of avoiding the full force of that teaching. Love your enemies. What did he mean when he said, bless those who persecute you? I don't know if he, if cutting off their heads would be included in that. Uh, or, you know, uh, do good to those who despitefully use you. Follow my example. He didn't call on legions of angels. He trusted his father and he let himself be crucified. And the father ro- rose him from the dead three days later. I'm just asking the question, what does that mean? What does it mean to say that Jesus is the center of my life and I want to obey him, and yet whenever push came to shove, we would, we would put nas- our national interest, our own security above that teaching, and we'd justify it, and we'd feel Christian about it. We'd Christianize it. We do. Many of us would do what any pagan American would do, and that is kill. Oh, The only difference is that we'd do it in Jesus' name. And so I'm wondering, I'm asking the question, what is real about any of this? Uh, why, I, I want to just have the integrity to say, Jesus, you're off your rocker. <laughs> no one's going to listen to this. That's too impractical. That's too unrealistic. Let's just say that out loud. We have no intentions of obeying you. you see, I, I just want to get that honest. You see, because when, when he was put in that position... He allowed himself to be crucified. Now, immediately, we want to say, "Well, wait a minute! If we did that, oh, we we go into our common sense. Well, then Christianity would disappear, and and that would be a bad thing." And I'm thinking, this is that our worry. Um, you know, do, do you believe in the resurrection? When Jesus was being crucified, it certainly looked like he was losing. And uh, three days later, the father vindicated him and rose him from the dead. And isn't, it, isn't that what trusting God's all about? I, and so it, these kind of questions can loop you into a, a place where you're just wondering, what is real? Is the kingdom present in the church? Is the kingdom present in my life? I was uh, profoundly and am profoundly bothered by this, what seems to be the impression that the church in America gives is, is often that we're, we're, we're morally superior because we position ourselves as the moral guardians and protectors of society. And, 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 and we know what's best for people better than they know. And, and, and we're going to preserve, you know, morality in America and take America back for God. And, and I'm, I'm wondering to myself the question. When Jesus said, why do you go looking for a, a dust particle in someone else's eye when you've got two by four sticking out of your own eye? Uh what did that mean? We're supposed to apparently regard everybody else's sin as, as much less than our own sin. Our sin compared to theirs is like a tree trunk compared to a dust particle. If the church did that, we would, instead of being known as this judgmental, self-righteous tribe, we'd be known as the tribe that's most self-effacing and humble and serving and, and uh, uh, it, it would just it, it, if we took that at all seriously and, and I, would, I, I just want to have the integrity to say if we don't, if we don't have any intention of, of living in that we should just say that we have no intention of living in that if that's not practical it's so obvious that our sin is less than their sin and their sin's more damaging so we got to stop it and these questions these kind of questions and questions about my own life how saturated is my own life with the kingdom how authentic am I Am I, am I, you know, talk is so easy. Do I talk more than I I live? Uh, You know, do do I, do I have the love of God flowing into me and flowing out of me as as I should? Do I seek first the kingdom of God? And, and these, I, I had to have a time to, to think through some of these issues and wrestle through some of these issues and, and to create something new. The old had to be destroyed And and I just had to say, okay, all bets are off. I'm starting from ground zero. What is real? What is real? I'm willing to question everything. Everything's up on the altar. What is real? What is real? As I did that, I found this. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about how how I got turned around. And and actually, the turning came quite early on uh, in this process. Well, there's three things I found that were real as I, uh, that were undeniable, undeniably real as I was wrestling with this. And I just want to share it with you. To me, for, in my life anyways, this is like the foundation for everything. The first thing I found was real it was, was this. I know that whatever other conclusions I come to, I know that like Job, I yearn for more. I yearn to be out of this quagmire I'm in. I feel incomplete. I always feel incomplete. It seems to me that every human being has a longing in their heart. I certainly do. A longing for more. Uh, It takes work to bring yourself to the dulled position where this life actually satisfies you. It's profoundly unsatisfying. And on some level, we all know we were created for more. There's a longing. There's a yearning. It comes out in our art. It comes out in our music uh, it, it comes out in poetry. It comes out in the best philosophy. There's this yearning. It's, the way I described it in my journal uh, during this period was that it seems like everything has a violet hue to it, an aura around it, a, a longing, uh, a, a certain quiet sadness, an incompleteness. We long to be completed. And even in our, our best moments, our peak experiences, our most intimate uh, experiences, even our most profound religious experiences, as good as they may be. We know, like Job knew, that there's got to be more. We yearn for it. We long for it. And what I can't deny is that that is the most fundamental thing in my existence. I think it's the most fundamental thing in every person's existence. We long for more. The second thing that I could, couldn't deny is this. I used to teach world religions. I've studied world religions. I've studied uh, world mythology. I, you know, and I enjoy that a lot. But I can't deny that I've never found a story, whether it's myth or history, there is no story like the story of Jesus. In fact, there could be no story like the story of Jesus. Uh, It's a story of infinite love. It's a story, you couldn't get a greater love than this. And that in my gut is what I'm longing for. I long for love which is a longing for significance which was a longing for purpose which is a longing for meaning a longing for security I long to be embraced I long to be accepted as I am and this story this story whatever other thing I may mean, think about it nothing expresses this core intuition this core yearning and this and and the clue to what it is we yearn for more than this story never has a story been told that's more beautiful than this I can't get around that I can't deny that and so at the very least, this, the, the truth of this myth, if it, if it turns out to only be a myth, is the truth that I want to live by, the quest that defines my life is defined by this, that thing that's just out of reach, that will make us complete, that love that will, 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 will satisfy our thirst... There is no greater clue to what it is like than the story of Jesus. God becoming a man, dying on a cross for a a people who who wanted nothing more than to be away from him, for a people whom he knew would crucify him, and yet he loved. That's the greatest love story ever told, and I yearn for it to be true. And so at least I would live by this story in terms of how I wanted to define my life, because this is the most authentic thing I can find. But there's a third thing. And for most people, I think... The second thing, the intuition, the way that the Christian story expresses our our need is enough for them to say, okay, I believe it's true, I'm going to live by it. For me, I need a little more than that. And this brings me to my third thing. It's good fortune or divine providence that in this period, I have been working with my good friend Paul Eddy, who will be speaking next week. And we're working on a book on the historical Jesus. And the whole purpose of the book is to uh, interact with the view that, that the Jesus story is only mythology and as I look at all the stuff that we've done in this book I'm, I'm tearing down everything to say what is real as I do that I cannot get around the, the conviction that the evidence for this story being not just true as a mythological expression but true in history the evidence for it is, is, is un- unavoidable it's compelling it's compelling I know that I am not perfectly objective, but no one's perfectly objective. And as objective as I might try to be, as I look at all the arguments for believing whether Jesus actually existed, whether he actually was as the Gospels report him to be, I I find that I can't deny that. And if ever there was a reason, a, a grounds for being biased towards a story, it would be this one because it rings true in my heart as well now as in my head. C.S. Pierce, uh, Charles Pierce, in the 19th century proved, and now it's you know an accepted fact, that all of our scientific theories are based most fundamentally on intuitions that we have about the way the world should be, and then we explore it mathematically, and that's how we come up with our theories. Our intuitions guide us, and I have no stronger intuition than that ultimate reality must look like Jesus, and now I find evidence that that is not just an intuition; it's historical fact. Now, here, here's what this did for me. It, it meant this: that as I'm, if this, if this is all the farther I've, I ever get, if I never think out another thing in my life, as I am right here and right now, this is what God thinks about me—Calvary. You know, it's funny. In this whole process, I, I didn't. I didn't come up with new revelations. Uh, in fact, I, I felt kind of weird. Some people have written me saying, I can't wait to hear what God has given to you. Uh, well, I, I didn't get any new revelations. What, 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 what I got? It's like with the marriage, we didn't get a new, any new information. What we got was a deeper appreciation for what we already had, a deeper love. And I, amen. And I discovered that, that, that a beauty, a depth of beauty, a depth of authenticity in the singularity of Jesus that I'd never had before. If, if, uh, if I never got clear on another thought, I know that right now I am loved and I shall see my Redeemer. I want to write that on a rock. I want to write that on a rock. I want to carry that rock around. I, you know, I, I may get foggy again, but I'm going to hold on to this. This is all I need. <laughs> this, is, this is it. Uh, if, if, I, if I never land with, my, with two, both feet on the ground on what I think about this issue or that issue, how I resolve this discrepancy or, or reconcile that archaeological fact with biblical history or come up with the, the exact right theory of inspiration or ever you know, get a, a clear thought on eschatology, if I remain confused the rest of my life, I got the rock. I'm going to write it on stone. You know, I I know this, I'm loved with an everlasting, perfect love. I'm accepted as I am in the midst of the doubt, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the confusion. Right now, I am, in a sense, complete because of my relationship with Jesus. And I know that what I yearn for most fundamentally, what I long for at the core of my being, that will someday be satisfied. And having just that is enough. In fact, having that is everything. One of the questions that I wrestled with during this period was, as I, let, I put everything on the, on the altar, as I let everything be destroyed, was, you know, do I really hear from God or is that just me talking to myself? And do I really sense the presence of God or is that just a, a, a kind of a group thing that happens psychologically? And, and, you know, those kind of questions. But what if? What if I, I, I never did feel the presence of God again? I still got the rock. I I I know that I know that I'm loved with a perfect love, and whether I feel his presence or not, whether I think I see him answer prayers or not, it's not going to add anything to what I've already got. I got the rock. I, I, I'm writing that on a rock. I I, I am uh, you know I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that right now I'm loved with an everlasting love. And, and and if I never got my my thoughts all cleared out, and if I never resolve the various issues that I'm going through, I've I've I got I've got enough. I've got more than enough. I've got everything in the person of Jesus Christ. And so it is with all of you. What if, what if you know, like Jack Nicholson said, what, what if it never gets any better than this? What if you've got the rock? Write it on a rock. <laughs> that Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, lives. You are loved as you are right now with an everlasting love, a Calvary quality love. What if, what if you never got out of that depression? You still, you, you, you've got the rock. What if, what if you never answered the questions that you've got? You've still got the rock. What if your marriage never really improved much? You've still got the rock. What if you went the rest of your life without sensing the presence of God? You've still got the rock. And the rock is enough, and the rock is everything. All that I ever need is found in the rock of Jesus Christ, and I need to write that on a rock. I'm mixing metaphors here, but, but uh, I, I, this is the one solid thing. And what I found, what I found was this, that... Um, the, The rock becomes all the more beautiful precisely because when you're in the Job place, it stands all by itself. This is all I've got. This is all I've got. Uh, Jesus shines most beautifully when he shines alone. The whole business of life, the whole thing of the kingdom comes down to this simple, simple center. And it's what I want to define my life in and out because it's all I've got. I need to look at Jesus and let him make me look like him. It's like that. Look at Jesus, and as a result of that, look like Jesus. That is enough, and that is everything. Now, I've thought through other issues, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting clear on, 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 on this stuff, but you know what? I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it. I've got the beauty of the singularity of Jesus Christ. This is a center. This is, this is all there is. And it's all the more beautiful because he stands alone. What I what I found was this. As I got that down, two, two, two fundamental things happened that have been... As, as, when I got that foundation that I've got, I, I believe this. I may not be clear on anything else, but I got this. Two things happened. One is that I discovered that I um, had another source of life in my life. And I'm, I'm the anti-idol preacher, right? I always am talking about how we shouldn't get life from idols. We should get it from Christ. But I had... An anti-idolatry idol. (laughs) (sighs) That's true. And the significance of my life was partly tied up into how much I believed my work was making people free from idols. I I talked about this nightmare that I used to have, where you know I, I come to church and and the place is almost empty because it turns out it was all a carnival, and they moved on to the next carnival. It was a nightmare. And um, uh, I had it early on in the church, but it, uh, then it disappeared, and it kind of came back just prior to my taking this break. And see, it, what the dream was trying to lovingly tell me was this. You're getting life from something that you think you do. And what if you don't do it? Uh, can you offer that up on the... Can you let that be destroyed? What if it turns out your life was a big joke? What if you are a dog and pony show? What if your life was absolutely as insignificant as you thought it was? You know what? I don't think it is, but, but, but if it was... So what? So what? My job is to look at Jesus and then let him make me look like him. And that's all that matters. And what he does with that is his business. It's all his business. I'm not supposed to be getting life from that at all. And, and there's a, a, a freedom that I thought I already had, but I was in bondage. And, and uh, that's why the dream had power. I don't need to make my life significant. God will make it significant if he wants, but I've already got all the significance I'll ever have on Calvary. I'm significant to him. And that's really all that matters. The second thing that, that I really found was so freeing was this. It was a freedom that I had never had before. I find that as I have just focused on this precious jewel, this, this, it, this center, this diamond, that is Jesus Christ. Looking at Jesus Christ and letting him make me look like him, being transformed as I gaze upon his beauty, like we sang about earlier. As I do that, if I do it authentically, not just verbally, if I live in this, I find that I don't have I don't have any space in my brain left to be worrying about who is and who's not who else is doing it or who else is not doing it um, my job this moment is to know that I'm loved perfectly by Jesus Christ and to reflect that love that's it and and that, that requires awareness that acquires being I'm calling a kingdom consciousness walking in this and as I do this I don't have space to notice let alone worry about why other people aren't doing it my only job is to love them And so the very, the commitment to love like Christ loves, Paul says, live in love, live in love, as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. To live in it means make it your brainwave, uh, make it your heartbeat, uh, you know, uh, make it your breath, like we sing about here today. Everything I am about, I want to just know that I'm loved by Christ and out of that fullness, I can love others and I'm called to love others. And as I do that, there's no, there's no time for cynicism about the church. There's no time to be aggravated about things. I'm too busy doing the one thing that God requires me to do. I can't fix the church. I can't fix society. I can't fix the world. I can just love you right here and right now, and then I'll love this person right here and right now. And as I live in this, I find the freedom. I, I've, cynicism, and listen, because some of you wrestle with this cynicism. Cynicism is just an inverted form of judgmentalism. And it's an evidence that you're not doing the one thing that you were called to do, and that's to live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And so as I've lived in this, I've been freed from that. I don't need to worry about that. My job is to love like Jesus has loved me. Look at Jesus. So simple. Look like Jesus. I found no simpler yet more challenging because it's a full-time job. It's a 24-7 job. No simpler question, no more challenging question, but also no more of a freeing question than that. If I've, got, if I've got this, nothing else really matters. This is my full-time job. The other things will fall into place, but I've got this. I know my Redeemer lives. That which I yearn for, I have, and I know someday I'll be complete in Him. Praise God. Let me end just with this question. To those of you who are kingdom people already, I just want to challenge you with uh, this thought. Are you willing to let everything go and be destroyed? Even some of your cherished beliefs, if necessary. Are you getting life from any of the rightness of your opinions? Are you getting life, any degree of worth and significance and a feeling of importance because of the rightness of your ethical stances? Are you getting life from anything? Will you commit? And see... This is a question you can't answer right now. Well, you can answer it right now, but it won't mean much. Will you commit to living in kingdom love? And the reason I say you can answer it right now because it won't mean much is that you have to answer that question every second of your life. Uh, I can't, yesterday's answer doesn't apply for today because I'm still alive. I have to live in it today. I have to live in it this moment, and now the next moment, and now the next moment. And that's why it's a 24-7 job. We commit to living in kingdom love and letting, receiving that love and giving that love and letting everything else, everything else die if necessary. And you should be dead to it anyways. The second thing is this. Maybe you're here today and um, you've never become a kingdom person, which means you've just never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, received that kingdom love and committed to giving that kingdom love. And maybe there's a lot of reasons why you didn't want to buy into Christianity. Maybe that they're all the right reasons. <laughs> you know, there's so much of this other stuff that you just can't put up with. What I'm sharing with you here today is the center. Can you just bring yourself to accept that God died on Calvary for you? And all he asks of you most fundamentally is to accept that, live in that, and let your life be transformed by that. And if you're interested in making that decision, I want to invite you at the end of the service to come up here and there's some folks who would just love to talk to you about what, how easy that is, what's entailed by that and then we can help you uh, get started on living out the kingdom life. Let we stand and pray. I want to sing that as our, cl- our closing prayer. My God, my King, you are my everything, I worship and adore. life, Lord. If you made that song true in our life, Lord, it would be everything. Make it true, Lord God. Make it true, Lord God, not only as we sing it, but as we walk out of here. Help us to do the kingdom with the people we rub shoulders with as we leave here, out in the gathering area, on the car, on the way home. When we get home, Lord God, throughout the week, every moment, every waking moment, let it be true, Lord God, that you are our everything, and our only job in life is to look at you, and to look like you. Amen the altar is open if you want to come forward for prayer I'd like to ask the prayer team forward and if you want to if you're interested in inquiring about becoming a kingdom person over the table on the right love you guys